This is Stateside. I'm April Baer. As intense weather events like the recent deep freeze in Texas continue to increase, the effects of climate change are becoming painfully obvious. We know that certain regions of the continent are at greater risk of the negative effects of climate change than others. So where will Michigan stand in our climate-changed future? Some models predict that Michigan, because of the Great Lakes, will do very well. So could our state become a climate refuge in the future? Keith Schneider has been digging into this question. He's chief correspondent and senior editor at Circle of Blue. They're collaborating with Michigan Radio, looking into all things Great Lakes and climate change. Keith, welcome. Thank you. Nice to be here. What got you thinking about Michigan's climate change future? Well, you know, at Circle of Blue, if you live in where we live in northern Michigan, there's so many lakes, so much forest land, and no forest fires, very few, you know, flooding. It became obvious to us, oh, I don't know, five, six, eight years ago that we live in a, in a region, in a state that's much safer or appears to be much safer than places we had reported all around the world. You know, I've been in deep droughts in Australia and deep droughts in South Africa. I've been in murderous floods in the Himalayas. You know, I've been, I've been in places that have been uh, tremendously affected, dangerous places, places that are becoming much more dangerous because of climate change, flooding, storms, droughts, heats, deep cold. And in this region of, of Michigan and Michigan in total isn't experiencing that level of intensity in its storms. Not to say that we haven't had some serious storms. Last May, we had a very serious storm in the central part of the state, took out a dam and caused $250 million in flood damage in the Midland region. We've had rising Great Lakes clawing at the shoreline, but we don't have nearly the kinds of, you know, deadly storms and events that other regions of the country had. I mean, just just last week, a deep freeze hit Texas and over 30 people died. It's going to cause $100 billion in damage, lots of disruption in the economy, you know, people being stranded without power. Uh, some of that is due to negligence on the leadership of the state in preparing for such a storm. But it's an, another example of how climate change is roughing up bludgeoning so much of the world and so much of the United States. So what is the prognosis for Michigan's climate, say, around 2070? Well, the scientists say that we're going to have more weather, more water, more moisture in our storms. We're going to have episodic deep freezes like we do. We're going to have more drought in the summer. Our climate is going to get warmer but these are all comparative to what's happening in other parts of the world. The key resource that we have that no other place in the world has at the extent that we have is water. We've got the world's largest reserve of clean, fresh water. And that in and of itself is going to make this a refuge for so much of North America and perhaps the world, but certainly North America. I mean, how do you predict these things? What does it take people to look at each other across a dinner table and say, hey, honey, hey, kids, it's time for us to leave, right? Usually in earlier in life, that's an economic justification. That's an economic influence. And later in life, as we know, retired people head south to warmer weather. Well, 
you know, if they head south to into desert conditions or increasingly desert and hot conditions, that is not going to be such a lure to older people. So, I mean, the science of this is in its infancy. And what compels people to move is a really individual decision. Well, Keith, I wonder if we're starting to see bits of this already. There was a time in late 20th, early 21st centuries where Americans were moving to the Southwest and they were moving to the West Coast. They were they were certainly moving for jobs. But now we've had a couple of years where, you know, California has just been through the mill on wildfires and the Southwest is has been having its own growing pains associated with the exploded population. Do you think that the reverse migration may already be in its early stages? I don't know. Nobody can tell you that. There is no scientific data to tell you that. In fact, this state and the upper Midwest has been an out-migration area for decades. United Van Lines takes a annual survey of where its business is. And that survey has shown for years that we are one of the leading out-migration regions of the country for people that are leaving this area. So there's no telling if that's true now. If it is, it's a trickle that can't be measured. There's episodic evidence that from realtors who tell you that they're now having more business coming their way from places like Texas or California or the Southwest or wherever, people who are coming here for whatever reason, mostly because it's, it's certainly in this region near Traverse City for the beauty. You know, I mean, this is one of the most beautiful places on the planet. But, you know, will Detroit become a center of commerce and, and culture and and uh, motivated people like it was in the 20th century, particularly in the middle of the 20th century? It very well could. It's sitting in the middle of, you know, a huge market and a big country, and it very well could become that. But Michigan is a leader in the developing science of trying to understand how people will respond to climate change. And there is a group in Ypsilanti, started a decade ago, called the American Society of Adaptation Professionals. Really nice acronym, ASAP, right? We need to move on this as quickly as possible. Well, this is a group of planners and demographers and epidemiologists and other scientists that are moving science to the next stage of climate research, which is trying to develop the tools, the data tools, the survey tools, the scientific tools to understand how people are going to respond to changing climate and whether Michigan becomes a climate refuge. And if it becomes a climate refuge, if millions of people are coming here, as millions of people have done to leave here in the 20th century and the 21st century, if they're coming back, is this region really prepared for that level of migration? And I can tell you as a journalist who's been here for 30 plus years and covered every aspect of this state, we're not. We're just not. So, Keith, what are some of the positives and possibly some of the negatives or things to be prepared for if that migration ends up with Michigan at its center? One of the positives, hopefully, is that our governance, you know, polishes up the tools of management for water, energy, food, commerce, designs of cities. So we have an opportunity to put in place the new thinking about how to develop civilization in Michigan, how to make it more efficient, how to make it more conservation oriented, how to make it more accessible, how to make it more walkable, how to make it opportunities for all people more accessible. That's what we can do. That's the opportunity here. 
And clearly, if people are coming here, commerce is going to get more intense. So do we have the chance to build an economy that benefits everybody in the state, not just a select few, as we did in the 20th century, right? Can we rebuild the economy so that it serves human needs? And can we do it in a way that we're not going to be threatening the ecological resources, wondrous ecological resources that Michigan and the Great Lakes has, its forests, its shorelines, its water, its nice cities, its small towns, its agricultural lands. Can we rebuild in the 21st century if people are coming back in a way that fits, you know, the technology, the know-how, and the cultural assets that we have here? Keith, this is crazy. We have cities in Michigan like Flint that are coping with huge public health and environmental problems as a result of their populations having collapsed toward the end of the 20th century. And now to think that we need to rebuild so that, who knows, maybe cities like Flint could become the new population centers in the next hundred years? Yeah, that's absolutely the case of what could happen here. Absolutely. And let's do it in a way that we can avoid having such disparate disparities in our economic opportunities in this state. Yes, we have an infrastructure and, you know, cities that are more than capable of accepting and embracing population growth and then advancing their economies and their design, right? City designs. When we have, we have these cities that are compact and walkable already, we don't need to spread out into the landscape to accommodate the new growth. We can incorporate growth in the existing um, streetscape and communities and neighborhoods that exist already in this in this state. You're saying that a lot of Michigan cities have, have good bones that might support this. Excellent bones. Excellent bones to support this. Well, mostly because we have roads and infrastructure and water infrastructure already in place. And yeah, it needs to be modernized, but we don't need to build anything new. Look, the Detroit region, in terms of population, is no bigger now. There's not more people there now than there were 40 years ago. Those people just spread out to seven counties and they used to be in two, right? So this state has capacity for growth and growth in a way that that enhances what we have here. And we also have the capacity to really mess it up if we want to, but God, we've learned so much, you know, looking at, at lessons from the 20th century and applying them in the 21st century, we can do this a lot better. And by the way, we're going to do it. I mean, technology is just going to move us to doing it better. We're going to have electrified transportation in this state. We're going to have less use of fossil fuels in the state. It's already happening. It's occurring. We're not going to have as much pollution in our waters. We have the opportunity to do this in a way that marries the best of what we've learned so far about how to civilize ourselves and apply it, you know, for the newcomers that are going to be here. Yes, it's going to take a commitment from governance in this state to do that. And it's going to take commitments from taxpayers and landowners and residents to do that. And hopefully, I mean, really hopefully that we put aside this crazy politic that we have where we want to just you know, blame everybody and, and, and ignore and lie and conspiracy. Let's put that aside and really get to work to get this done the right way. If you've just tuned in, we're talking about the future of Michigan through the lens of climate change with Circle of Blue senior editor Keith Schneider. Keith, you found for your article some anecdotes of out-of-staters purchasing Michigan property with climate change as something of a consideration. What exactly did you hear? I spoke to some realtors, one in particular in Traverse City, who was a realtor also in the Upper Peninsula. And he told me that a finance professional from Texas 
whose career is devoted to predicting the future, bought a place north of Marquette precisely because he was concerned about climate change and that the fact that the conditions in, in the Upper Peninsula he anticipated would be better than the conditions over the long term in Austin. And how prescient was that? I mean, Austin yeah. last week was a disaster zone. No power, no water. I mean, more than half the city was out of power. More than three quarters of the city was out of water. They're only now beginning to recover. There are still thousands and thousands of people in Austin that don't have easy access to clean water. So pretty prescient. And I have friends in Traverse City, young friends, who tell me they're, you know, they're dating young men and young women, professionals that have come here from California principally to settle in Traverse City because of all the conditions that exist a out in California, which is, you know, zone one for ecological disruption and, and terror and come to Traverse city a, because housing costs are less and job opportunities in Traverse city area are, are greater and they're, and they're young and they can move. We know that the most serious effects of climate change tend to hit hardest at the lower end of the economic spectrum. It kind of sounds like, there may be some people at the higher end of economic development who are who are already on the move. Yes. I mean, that's that's anecdotal and that seems to be the case. And the other point that you make about who's really getting hurt here is data and evidence for that is powerful. I mean, just look at what happened in Texas. The people that got hurt the worst were the poor in neighborhoods where the infrastructure, both energy and water and road, was not nearly as stout as it is in the wealthier areas. And, you know, there's stories. I, I wrote a piece about this for our Circle of Blue. I mean, there's a story of a family in Dallas that had to escape their house and get shelter in a bus that the city had set up to warm as shelter, warm shelter for people that were fleeing their cold houses that didn't have water. And in the wealthier neighborhoods of, of Austin and, and Dallas and San Antonio, that wasn't nearly as common. In fact, those homes generally had warmth and heat, or they were turned on quicker than in the poor areas where people didn't have the same access. So yeah, I mean, the people that are good, we've seen this globally in our own work in, in Circle of Blue. In Delhi, when heat waves hit Delhi, wealthier Delhi residents have generators and they can turn on their air conditioners if the power goes out and the poor neighborhoods forget it. They swelter in the heat. Same in Tamil Nadu. And we've been there, and this is in, on the eastern side, southeastern India, along the Indian Ocean. We were there. They had a drought, a flood, and a heavy storm all in 18 months. And the people that were getting hurt there were the poor people. The wealthier people were able to survive because they had the means to respond in a way that, that wasn't threatening them or their family as heavily as it did the poor. So yeah, all around the world and all around the United States, it's the people that don't have as much means are going to be hurt by this. Keith, we live in a place where, despite the changes in lake levels and other indicators, some people don't believe that climate change is something we can plan around or even plan for. What would you say to them? For me, climate change has already begun. I've seen, as I've said, murderous floods in the Himalayas caused by melting glaciers. I've seen refineries totally battered by incredible storms on the eastern side of India that never went back into operation because they were so powerfully hit. I've been in South Africa where droughts lasted for two years and which spread across from 
east to west and dried up Cape Town. So I say to people, you doubt climate change, follow me for a year. I've seen it. I know what's happening. And now we're seeing it in the United States with fires and floods and deep freezes and and even in the Great Lakes, you know, where water levels are at the highest level they've ever been. So we, it's already begun. There's no question it's begun. Now, how is a modern society going to cope with this? How does industry, governance, and residents combine their imagination and their resolve to say, what are we going to do to A, reduce the risks, and B, heighten the opportunities in which that are going to come our way. In the 20th century, Michigan flourished around a common goal of industrializing the state and providing opportunity for anybody that wanted a job and wanted to work hard. I mean, we were the model of industrial opportunity in the 20th century. Well, we need to be that model of opportunity to respond to climate change and its economic opportunities in the 21st century. And it took imagination and resolve in the 20th century. And we have to do the same thing in the 21st century. And we need to put away the bitter politic and embrace a new way of A, dealing with each other and B, coming to common understandings about what to do. And if we do that, we're going to be just fine. Keith Schneider is chief correspondent and senior editor with Circle of Blue. You can find all of the stories from Michigan Radio's collaboration with Circle of Blue at michiganradio.org. Keith, thank you so much. Thank you.